Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. Now may the words that I speak and the words that you hear uh, deliver by the power of the Holy Spirit um, a word of comfort that might awaken the parts of your hearts that are deeply asleep and might lift you up and know that your judge is your friend and your savior in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. And um, a couple of years ago, I hiked the Camino de Santiago part of it. And one of the trails is uh, the Camino de Plata, which begins in Granada and makes its way up to Santiago de Compostela. And uh, yesterday, my wife and I did our annual Camino, uh, the Camino de Chapa, which begins in uh, like on Canal Street and Broadway, and we just walked our way up. And uh, everywhere we went, it was, it was full full-on Christmas, and um, I'm getting really into the lo-fi Christmas beats right now, and, uh, but um, for us as Christians, despite the lo-fi Christmas beats, we are in the liturgical season of Advent. That's where we're at. The word Advent, so we're not in Christmas yet, and the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or inbreaking, and this whole season is designed to remind us that indeed the old creation, as we've just heard Jesus teach, is going to come to an end as we await, though, a new creation which began to advent at his resurrection from the dead. Advent puts us in stark reminder that we live in this interesting phase called the already and the not yet. And Advent is filled with lots of themes that are relevant to your life as a Christian. And for today's today's sermon, I'd like to focus on the theme of time, especially the end of time, and what that means for you today. The book club of the parish this Tuesday will discuss the great rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel's book, The Sabbath. Now, as Christians, we tend to venerate places. You remember we were going to go on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and uh, there you will see all of these holy places. But Heschel points out that the first thing to be sanctified by God, the very first thing to be made and declared holy, was not a place, but time. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Using scripture, he profoundly lays out the order by which God sanctified the main things, the main themes of the Bible, or declared them holy. And the very first thing was time. The second was people, the offspring of Abraham. And the second was a place. Heschel astutely observes, and this is really important, this is a quote from him, the Bible is more concerned with time than with space. It sees the world in the dimension of time. The Bible pays more attention to generations, to events, than to countries and things. It's primarily more concerned with history than with geography. To understand the teaching of the Bible, one must accept its premise that time has a meaning for life. In our gospel reading today, Jesus speaks of the unraveling of space in real time. 
He speaks of the sun being darkened, the moon no longer giving light. He speaks of the stars falling from heaven and the very powers and principalities in the heavens being shaken. What Jesus is doing in this Olivet Discourse is uh, is speaking about the end of time. However, in our society, in our society when we speak of the end of time, we speak in terms of either doubt or dread. I mean, think about it. New Yorkers, we probably doubt the end of time more than anything else. We see the occasional crazy guy in the subway corner, you know, with his sign up, the end is nigh. But we we think life will just go on forever. As a matter of fact, uh, in 2019, The Guardian had an article all about how our mind can't cope with the fact that we will come to an end. And so we put it off. We trick ourselves into thinking that we will just go on forever. We speak in terms when it comes to the end in terms of doubt. It's a sort of form of religious superstition. Or there's the other reaction. And you see it especially now on YouTube and people's Instagram pages, not yours of course, but, uh, um, but we see it all over the place amongst certain Christians and even Muslim groups. In light of everything going on in the Holy Land, some people are living in real fear. They're seeking signs. They're trying to make connections in order to bring the end of time under their control. So it's either we doubt it or try and bring it under our control. I was watching one doomsday preacher once who was preaching about the end of time and how it could quite possibly, according to his calculations and study of the scriptures, occur this coming June. June 2024. I have enough money then to retire. But anyway, um, you know, <laughs> but after that I'm done. But anyway, but, uh, you know, but so he's doing this teaching then all of a sudden he's confronted by this guy who quotes Jesus from our gospel reading today. No one knows the day or the hour. And the preacher said, yes, but Jesus didn't say month or year. (laughs) I mean, that is taking literal interpretation to a whole new level. But this is my first point. This is my first point. When we speak of the end of time, when we speak of Jesus coming again in great power and glory as we confess... You and I as Christians need not be cynical or overly obsessed with the details. We need not be afraid of the end because the end for you is not destruction. The end for you is the beginning of eternity. The end is salvation and eternal life. I think this is one of the comforting reasons Jesus drops the lesson of the fig tree in the midst of this apocalyptic text. In the Holy Land, all of the trees are evergreen except for two. The olive tree, which blooms in early spring, and the fig tree, which blooms right before the blast of the summer heat at the end of the spring. And Jesus uses this budding fig tree as a sign of the end of the time. He uses new life as his illustration, not death to symbolize the end for Christians. This is the same thing Paul does when he uses birth pains 
It can be scary, as I said a couple of weeks ago. It can be painful, but it brings forth something new that changes you forever. Jesus says also something, though, a little tricky here. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. And let me tell you, uh, this statement has baffled Christians ever since Jesus spoke them. So what does it mean as we approach the end? And how is it comfort? How is it good news for you today? Well, in some ways, these things have already taken place. The Bible always speaks of types and antitypes. Or in other words, as I prayed, he speaks, the Bible speaks in terms of already and not yet. And in the person and work of Jesus, you remember Paul teaches and the Bible teaches that basically the world is looked at through the lens of two people, Adam and Jesus. And so Jesus becomes the representation of all of humanity. Jesus embodies the entire world. And so in a very real sense, when he died on the cross, the whole world, for all intents and purposes, died with him. And if you recall on that Good Friday, the sky went black. The earth shook. There even was a resurrection from the dead when Jesus died. And 40 years later, there was another type that occurred that fulfilled this saying, that this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. When General Titus, under the, under the uh, guidance of the Roman Emperor Vespasian, destroyed Jerusalem in 70 AD, literally fulfilling what Jesus said about <clears throat> the sky went black and the earth shook with war, and literally fulfilled about the destruction of the temple that Jesus speaks about earlier in this chapel, a chapter. Not one stone will be left unturned. And that was because when <coughs> Titus burned the temple, it burned so hot that the entire, all of the gold, the temple money and all of that, melted in between the stones. And so when the Jewish wars were over, people went to the temple and began to pick it apart to get at the gold that had gone into the crevices. So once again... There's a fulfillment. And the first generation of Christians, they've always expected the end. St. Paul himself, if you read him closely, he expected to see the second coming. Christians during the turn of the first millennia were expecting the second coming. Christians during the Reformation, they were expecting the second coming any second. Christians during the turn of the second millennia, you remember Y2K and all that craziness. They were expecting the second company coming. You remember during COVID, Christians were expecting the second coming. You remember now, on the cusp of what could be World War III in the Middle East, Christians are predicting the second coming. In every era, Christians have thought that they were the last generation. And that's profoundly important because we're not promised any other day but today. As I mentioned earlier, though, this over-fascination with it has led some to some extremely unhealthy interpretations of the Bible, along with behaviors and activities. However, here's the thing. When this statement, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not 
pass away. When that is understood in light of the gospel, that God in Jesus Christ is with you and for you and has saved you, well, that gives all of us, that gives this church what I would call a positive sense of urgency. You know, if we don't take it seriously, then we just sit back on our laurels and whatever. And if we have an over-fascination with it, well, we just get really weird. But this is my second point. When it's understood in light of the gospel, it gives us a positive sense of urgency. And it reminds us that tomorrow isn't given. And therefore, today is a gift. And that gift is for living. That gift is for enjoying and sharing what God has given us. That we are always living as though this present moment is on the threshold of literally the last day. Luther was once asked, what would you do if you knew that today was your last day? And he said, I would plant a tree. So all the more reason for us to share the gospel. So all the more reason for us to love our neighbor. Invite them to table talk. Come to table talk. Join Alpha. Because it's all a gift. And this gift provides comfort and peace in the midst of so much uncertainty. But this is my second point. Here's the good news for you in Jesus' statement, which actually becomes almost an enabling word for you to remain alert. All these things have occurred, and they will occur. But we can trust Christ at his word, which is the one thing that will never, ever pass away. And actually, this becomes a powerfully enabling agent for you to face the many ends of your life, whatever they may be. But that word that endures forever, that word that Christ delivers to you today, it says that you have been baptized into the death of Jesus. It says to you that you are righteous now, although your life is hidden with Christ and God. And therefore, your last day Your last day is already powerfully behind you. And the only thing left for you to do is truly live until he returns and claims you as his own. And dear Christian, that is so worth being alert for. As St. Paul tells us in Corinthians, by virtue of our baptisms, we live in the midst of what God has already done for us. And what has God done for us? Notice in our reading from the epistle, he's the protagonist of the whole thing. He's done four specific things. In every way you've been enriched by him, you are not lacking any spiritual gift. And God will strengthen you to the end so that you will stand before him blameless. And why? Not because you're faithful, but because God is faithful to you. And you see, the ability to handle the pressures of this life as we move towards the end of time is the result of resting in the gospel. Because resting in the gospel enables you to do what you need to do for today. The ability to endure as a Christian. And that's not the result of our faithfulness, but God's faithfulness to us. It's realizing that we move through this life already in God's grace and mercy in the form of the forgiveness of our sins.
I love how the prophet Isaiah put it. And when Isaiah had this prophecy, everything was falling apart. I mean, they had just come back from exile. They were facing people living in the land who were against them. They were facing infighting. I mean, the temple wasn't coming together. And the prophet Isaiah sees, and he says, From ages past, no one has heard, nor ear has heard, nor eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. See, ultimately, if it rested on us, we'd be doomed. If it rested on our strength and our faithfulness, well, we wouldn't survive the end of the world. But this is my third point. And I'm preaching to myself again. You can be of good hope because thanks be to God, it doesn't rest on us. But totally and completely on Jesus. I don't know if you've been watching The Bachelor. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> I haven't, but I did used to watch it pretty regularly. And uh, there, was, there, was this, uh, there was this wonderful moment in every season of The Bachelor where the rose was given right at the beginning. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those episodes, but those were the most normal dates that ever took place uh, because the pressure was gone. The people could lay down and they could just rest. They could rest because they'd already been chosen. Let me tell you, the gospel says in the midst of the end, you can rest because Jesus has given you the rose already. He's given you the rose already. And that rose will allow you to endure into the end. Endure into the end. And to be on the receiving side of God's love in Christ. And when you understand that, then you understand that the gospel says for you the end is not about avoiding wrath, but receiving the gift of grace. That in Jesus, his love can't help but overwhelm your life. And working through you, Touch the lives of your neighbor as we all make our way to the very end, which is actually the end of the beginning as we move on to eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorges.org slash give. Thank you for your support.